we're going to do, um, we're back in Corinthians. This is part two of chapter five, verses one through five. All right. So if you can, we got it. Oh, oh there we go. We got this, or if you got Bibles. Um, now, I want to make clear to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I have preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believe in vain, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. There was a man in a village. Am I on? There we go. All right. There was a man in a village, and he had a horse, and the horse ran away. And the village came to him and said, oh, we're so sorry. We can't believe your horse ran away. You should feel awful. And his comment back was, well, maybe. And the next day, the horse that had run away returned. And along with that horse came ten other horses with it. And the people of the village came and said, oh my goodness, you should be so happy. You lost one, and now you have eleven. And he said, well, maybe. The farmer had a son, and they were taming the wild horses a few days later. And his son was riding one of those wild horses. And he gets bucked off, the the son does, and he breaks his leg. And all the people of the village come to him and say, oh, I'm so sorry for your son. You must feel terrible. You should feel awful. And he says, well, Maybe. The next day, the needs of a war reached the village, and they came to draft young men. And they came to his house with his son. But his son couldn't go to battle in the war because he's got an injury. And the people of the village said, oh, what a blessing. He doesn't have to go off to war. And he said, well, maybe. The point is that we don't have the perspective of what's going to happen in the future. And when we don't have the perspective, whether what happens in our life is good or bad in the moment, we only have a philosophy or a story of the way the world works to color how we see the event. Welcome to Masterclass, where we are discussing how the life, death, and resurrection and return of Jesus shapes all of life. Paul makes a claim in his letter to the Corinthian church that if they hold to the message he preached, then they would be saved. Correction, they are being saved by it. Meaning it's constantly changing them. 
and their approach to life, their character, who they are internally, is being changed. Their priorities are being shifted to align more purposefully with the way of Jesus. It's being, they're being shaped by that message. And the natural question, are our character and priorities being changed by this same message? When you hear the news about Jesus' perfect life, his sacrificial death, his burial, and his powerful resurrection, and as we anticipate his return, does that color and shape your life so that it daily changes your character and your priorities? So this is that message, that Christ died according for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. And Paul writes, who else Jesus appeared to? And in these few verses, so much is packed. Paul's claim about Jesus and what he has done for us isn't in isolation. That implicitly the perfect life his death, burial, and resurrection and appearances have great magnitude. And if we were to just simply hang on to that news, then our lives would change. That if we would respond in faith, that we would seek to follow him in every way through that message, then our lives would change and in fact, Others' lives around us would change. And it has such magnitude that the scriptures foretold that reality, that news. That Jesus, his person and work, was anticipated in all of scripture. See, Paul says, according to the scriptures several times in this succinct proclamation and when we think of scriptures, we often think of the whole Bible. But Paul's view of scripture is likely just the Old Testament. The first two-thirds of our Bible is what he is describing. That according to the first two-thirds of our Bibles, what we know as the Old Testament, that there is a description about why and how Jesus would come why we needed a rescuer, and why we need to be made new. But the scripture isn't primarily about us. The scriptures tell us about God. Every story in the Old Testament is littered with foreshadowing of how God is revealing himself to us and foreshadowing of Jesus. In fact, there's a whole section of the book of Hebrews that describes how Jesus is the true and better. When you think about the stories of Israel, that there were to be a blessing and to represent God to the nation and provide a way for the nations to live and experience the will and way of God, and they failed. That Jesus was the true and better Israel. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. I, let's go back to the beginning. So that you can see according to the scriptures from the very fundamental pages of the Bible. That Jesus was anticipated to show us how to be truly human. 
that God had a plan from the very beginning to move towards us when we removed ourselves and we reclused and we hid from God. Some of you, as I walk through some of these scriptures, this will be old hat. You've heard them. But some of you and even me, we need to be reminded. We need to rehear the story because we drift. We forget. We get consumed with other words and information that take us away, that, that want to shape us in our life and to a different way. So we need to return to that foundation so that when we experience life with others, that the things that we listen for in our conversations, that the things we say in conversations aren't just the latest pop cultural social media posts, aren't just the latest news headline, but there's such a thing that it's substantive so that we don't just give people good things and say things that make them feel good, but we say things that are good, that help them and their character and priorities be changed. And so I want to give you some framework today to help us walk through that with people in real time. So with the first pages of the Bible, God called humanity to look to him, not creation, and not his own work for his identity. He called humanity to look for him for purpose and truth. Eating of the tree that God placed in the garden to give humanity choice would be essentially turning to another source for identity purpose and truth and humanity did but the story doesn't end god seeks them out to let them know the consequences but also the hope see in genesis 3 a few pages maybe even on the first page of your bible god says i will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel god promised to put an end to the serpent and the rebellion he had started that's who he's speaking to through eve's offspring satan would eventually be crushed god would have the final word he would save us from our sin he would rescue us from satan and he would put death to death and his word is true and his work is sufficient and the story goes on god selects a family to represent him and pass on the promise that one day there would be a wounded warrior a victorious rescuer who would put an end to evil suffering and death and so he checked selects this family to pass on that promise. And in Genesis 12, 3, God says, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. The story continues as a chosen family is enslaved and God provides a rescue in Exodus 12 where the Passover lamb is killed as a means of rescue and remembrance. Jesus dies unblemished to cleanse our consciences from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Hebrews 9.14 I think of a story like David and Goliath. Even if you don't know the Bible version, the moralizing is one of an underdog that we talk about in sports many times. Overcoming an overwhelming favorite. And David was unassuming. He was little. He was young. He had no right to go fight. But he was willing to be used by God. And the same is true for Jesus. His will and his way is unassuming. And further, 
when, the cho- when chosen as king, David's kingdom would not last. Think of great dynasties that span years and generations. Jesus is described as a king whose dynasty will never end and will be passed on from generation to generation. In 2 Samuel 7 verses 12 through 16. Psalms 8, 5, and 6 describes what is man that you are mindful of him. You have made him a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. And Jesus was made lower than the angels in terms of his human form for a little while. But he's now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Isaiah 61.1 proclaims the spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. Jesus quotes this prophecy at the beginning of his ministry saying, I am that person. The spirit of the Lord is on me and I have come to bring good news, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. Daniel 7, 13 through 14 prophesies, says, I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly like one like the Son of Man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Zechariah 9.9 predicts, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout and triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. On this Palm Sunday. The king has come. We are under a new world order. God himself has come to rescue and renew all of creation through the person and work of Jesus. God has come to rescue and renew you. And this Messiah, this rescuer, this Christ, this term that that, that is used there, has been talked about and anticipated, was anticipated in the scriptures for thousands of years. And we sit here, we ponder, we consider our own life in light of that news. That it is not some news that might happen, that will happen. It's an event in history that has happened. And we must adjust our life. We must respond to that news accordingly. It is not something that we can simply receive as good information. As we scroll on our phones, as we receive notifications that give us the score updates. Or that tell us what the latest trends are. Or even give us some news about what's happening in the world. Or gives us the latest updates on the stock markets. No, this is not news that is constantly changing that is mere perception and of opinion. It is the news of a Savior that stepped into earth and said, you matter. And there is something wrong. There's something fractured in our world. 
And I have come to bring healing, healing and wholeness and help to you. The thing that you're searching for, the peace that is missing, Jesus shows up on the scene and says, I am here. On that Palm Sunday when there were branches waved, when there was hosannas sung and said, there were people saying, this is the king. This is the one. But too often we make the king, we make the message about us and we craft it into our own image. And they did just that. Because a few short days later they shouted, crucify him. The same people that said, we want this man to be king, a few days later said, we can't make him, we can't believe him to be our king. See, we can't make Jesus into the, the messenger in our image. We can't make his message bend to our wills and whims. No, our wills and our whims, our hearts, our character and priorities must be shaped by the one true and living king who gives up of himself for you. See, Numbers 21.9 said, So Moses made a, made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. And whenever someone was bitten, he looked to the bronze snake and he recovered. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does, does not believe is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. God. This is the judgment. This is the light that has come into the world. And people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Psalm 22 the pivotal verse for us in our church, where generations the name comes from. This is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we are reminded that God has not forsaken us. He has not left us alone while we feel it in our circumstances and somehow and at some point judge our circumstances by how we feel, by, by the ever-changing. We can be reminded. That the perspective of the moment may not be the perspective that's ultimate. So we can say when we feel encircled, when we feel unstand, when we ask the question and God hears us. And we're reminded. And people say, well God has forgotten you. You are alone. We don't just simply have to say, well maybe. Maybe. We can say, well, no, because of Jesus. Because he gave up his life for us. See, everything points to Jesus. So when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he is reminding them of the announcement in history. 
And this is the clarifying light that all of the Old Testament scriptures should be read through. But it's not only all of scriptures that should be read through this lens. It's also our own lives. I've always been fascinated by how a prism can separate a beam of white light into a spectrum of colors, similar to that of a rainbow. It was proven long ago that a white beam of light hitting such prism already contains the constituent array of colors, and it is the glass prism that refracts the variety of colors that are dispersed at various angles. But I cannot help but picture the image of God's light beaming on the whole of humanity. The object of our collective deepest desires reflect that light into the world. And we don't always reflect the beautiful array, the picture of Jesus rightly. The scriptures tell us that Jesus is the correct prism for which we get the best color to make the most sense and can even interpret the beauty and brokenness we see in our world through. And without Jesus as the prism, we get a jaded picture of reality and we in turn portray a jaded light. Where we stand, as we live, we must make the most sense of our lives. We must retrace the path Back to and through Jesus. He gives us the truth. He portrays the accurate color. He refracts the best picture and light. See, the work of Jesus in our lives must be the clarifying principle as people see our work, our family, and our relationships. Where and how we spend our time, how we spend our money. The message is not what we do. It's what God has done in Jesus. See, we already belong. We are already loved. And we need this message because in our frailty, we settle for a lesser story. We place other objects in the place that only Jesus belongs and cannot, in fact, reflect and refract the beauty of Jesus to the world so that they can see the color, so that they can see Jesus in the precise way they need to see him. And in doing so, we block people's perception of Jesus. But when Jesus is positioned rightly in our lives, no matter how we turn, no matter how we go, when he is positioned rightly in our hearts, as people look to our lives, they're able to see glimpses of hope beauty and brokenness they're able to see that there is a redeemer there is a rescuer and when we replace other objects there instead of jesus we tend to live the lie that there is no beauty and brokenness because we aren't believing the resurrection is real we think that christianity is just an accessory that fits into our closet of life choices and Christianity must become more than an accessory. Our followership of Jesus must become more than something we try on when it fits us. To, like a style we wear to portray the right image. To get us the right approval. No, Jesus must be the prism for, through which all life is viewed and shown. Through which choices are governed and dictated. We should not tell Jesus what we want, but through the truth of Jesus, we can make decisions. And so in order to do that well, we must retrace 
the path of our life back to him. Which is why we say in our vision, and why we help and we hope people say, and when, when asked, why do you do what you do? Why do you speak about your kids in that way? Why do you make the choices where you live? Why do you show up at work maybe early? Why does Siri pop on? No, I'm just kidding. You can say because of Jesus, with honesty and authenticity, because you've sought him to be the, give the picture and the perspective. But oftentimes we're shaped by the most dominant story in our lives. Many shoulds, oughts, can'ts, won'ts, don'ts come from past brokenness shaping our present stories. And we cease to believe the resurrection is real because we're afraid to show weakness and frailty. That we don't actually believe the resurrection is real because we aren't believing that beauty can actually come from brokenness. That on the other side of death and frailty actually is a resurrection and power. And when you let the good news of Jesus shape who you are and how you see the world, you won't be afraid to be weak. You won't be afraid to change. And if we're going to hold to this message of Jesus, believing that he is the prism that gives clarity to God and shape our lives, then we must evaluate if we're living by the most perspective-giving story of all. So there are four movements in Scripture that the Old Testament and even to the New describe. Talk about creation, how everything originally was. See, every person you encounter has a fundamental belief about their origin, who or what gave them their existence, made them who they are, or shaped them into the person they are today. You can listen for it in conversations. When some people talk, who or what do they credit or blame for who they are today? Or what situation they find themselves in? When we see our own origin stories, what do we credit or blame for who we are today? Or situation we find ourselves in? Who or what has shaped your understanding of yourself? Who are the sources of your sense of personal value and identity? And when was shaped through the lens of Jesus... It will color in such a way that while we can rightly assess where we come from, maybe where you were born or where you were raised or what type of family you grew up in or around, that Jesus placed you there for a purpose and a reason. That you are not maybe even the sum total of your parents' approval or the worthless sack that someone told you you were that's why we we describe so often we point people to our becoming like jesus page on our website because we can learn that our identity in christ we can say i am a new creation i am not the sum total of my past fears failures and mistakes while that is the origin of my story that is not the end of my story And as you think about this, while there is a creation and it was good and you are made loved and valuable with your unique personality and skill sets by God, we tend to believe that we are not enough. 
See, each person has a central belief about the cause of brokenness in the world and a deep desire for justice. People blame their parents, their family, their friends, the boss, the government for what they've become and want justice by putting the blame of someone else for the pain of suffering in their world. It's someone else's fault and someone deserves punishment. You can listen in conversations as people describe their life or the people in their life. Why are the things and people not the way they are supposed to be? And who is to blame? And if we personalize this, we can ask what was happening in our life. What is happening in our life that is broken? In other words, what is not the way God created it to be? And recognize that there's some frailty, that there's some brokenness, that there's some disconnect, even in our own lives today. But while we become more aware of that brokenness, I don't need to tell you oftentimes that you make mistakes or screw up or maybe your temper is a little too short or maybe you don't prioritize the right things or the people or maybe you think about fudging things on your taxes just so you get that little bit extra money when, when the integrity or the honesty or the, the, the manipulation because you seek approval comes out, I don't have to tell you that those things are in your heart and mind because the whispers are there enough. But the problem is, is where do we go to provide the remedy and the solution? To speak truth to those whispers. See, everyone has a solution they believe in a remedy they look to, or a savior they trust in to redeem the brokenness in their life and world. Many look to a philosophy. Others look to a plan of self-improvement or personal growth. Many believe in some kind of reform and education or politics will change things. Everyone believes in a redeemer or in a self-improvement plan of some sort. You can listen for in conversation. Who or what will rescue and redeem? If I just had this, life will be better. Oftentimes, I say this in my teachings. I say that vacation will never be enough. That move, that, that job will never be enough. That person will never be enough. The words that you long to hear will never satisfy because you'll want to hear them again and you'll long to hear them, but they may never come. Where your soul's just a bottomless pit of needing for approval. Where you never will have enough control so that things are just aligned just right so that you can feel safe and secure. Or maybe you can feel powerful. See, that's where the gospel comes in. That's where the good news of Jesus how did you come to put your trust in Jesus to save and redeem you from life the way God intended it to be? That Jesus is enough when those words never are. When your works never are. That he says you are enough because he died on that cross. He resurrected from that grave and he's promised to come make the world new once again. That he is great so that you don't have to be in control. That he is good, so that you don't have to seek approval from others. That he is gracious, so that you don't have to prove yourself to yourself, or to others, or even to God. 
What do you trust in to be the solution for the equation that you're trying to solve? Is Jesus the perspective that says, I don't need to seek words from someone. I don't need to have the perfect job or situation that I can say, not even just, well, maybe. But he's good. That it is well. That I am good, not because of my actions, but because he cleanses me and makes me good. See, every person has a picture of the future. When everything is as it should be or how they hope it will be. See, some see a utopia with humans all living at peace with one another. Others believe Mother Earth and humanity will be one. So others see the world will go back to where they will be at the center. Well, you will get everything your heart desires. Everything will be exactly as you want it. Some people's future hope is to be married, have children, get a job, be rich. Everyone wants something better. We believe that there can be a restoration of what they believe their world should be like. You can listen in conversations for what the world or their circumstances will look like when it's all as it should be according to them. And who or what the focus of this world will be. But from a Christian, when Jesus brings value and purpose and worth to our lives, we can ask and answer the question, what has changed and what is changing in your life now? And who or what is the focus of your life today? Because the objects that sit on the throne of your heart or on your life will be displaced and be replaced by Jesus and provide the beauty and color and full perspective that this world so desperately needs to see that we all long to experience. The band's going to begin to go ahead and come forward. What Paul is doing in the first part of Corinthians 15 is he's once in the practice, the retelling of the story of Jesus. That he lived and died and was buried. That he rose again so that when they think this life doesn't matter, that they begin to realize Jesus came into this world proving that it does matter. That you matter. That there's brokenness and flaws and Jesus can bring healing and restoration. That he has already done that. That it's not something that will happen, but it is actively happening because Jesus came. And while we await for his return to make all things new, we can live with the perspective and the reality that the Messiah has come according to the scriptures. That he is the hero of the story. Not you. See, that's why we stand and sing each and every week. That's why we take communion. Because we have to remind ourselves we are not the heroes of our own story. He is. He is the hero. And so today... We're going to stand and sing. We're going we're to respond. 
And my only question to leave you with, as you leave today, as you listen to lives and the stories and the conversations of others, as you tell your story, as you describe your life, who is the hero? Who is the hero? And my hope for us at Generations Church, that the heroes of our story is not ourselves, but it's Jesus.